Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Once again, welcome back to our study of the book of Proverbs, and we are in chapter 4. Uh, the last time we looked at verse, verse 14 and 15, and we're going to make a little more progress today. Um, I want to begin reading again in verse 10, and we'll read all the way through to verse 17. Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. And if you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they do evil and they are robbed of sleep unless, some, unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come before you, needy. Lord, I need your help to teach. The young people who are listening need your help to, to understand and to apply what they've learned, to walk in obedience. Father, we are in absolute dependence upon your grace, your empowering grace. So please, dear God, help us this day that in all things you might be glorified. Oh, dear God, please work in the heart of those who are listening, that they would truly believe in Christ, that they would devote their life to him in whatever station that you place them, that they will stand before you on that great day and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Father, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a quick uh, summary. Remember, we pointed out in our last study that in verses 10 through 13, it's about positively giving instruction. We need instruction in order to grow in conformity to Christ, in our ability to do the will of God. We need instruction. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the mind is not important in Christianity. It is absolutely essential. It's for this reason that Peter says and prays that we would grow in the knowledge of God. Now, but also with the instruction that we receive in verses 14 and 15, we learn, do not enter the path of the wicked, do not proceed in the way of evil men, avoid it, do not pass by it, turn away from it, and pass on, just, just go on. Um, here we see that even if we're receiving good instruction, 
if we're constantly walking toward the world, if we're constantly observing the world, if we're constantly entertained by the world, that it really doesn't matter how much instruction we receive, we're going to fall. We are going to sin. Um, if I want to truly be pleasing to God, if I want to grow in grace, not only are there things that I should do, there are things that I should not do, things that I should avoid. Now, that doesn't mean avoiding um, pleasure, wonderful times with friends, going out and doing things that are wholesome and, and entertaining, but it means that we're very, very cautious. We walk circumspectly. When we see something that is not conformed to the will of God, we don't stand there looking at it until finally it captures us and draws us in. We don't get so close to it that it can grab us. Remember, don't trust in yourself. Trust in God and in God's word. Also, a good, just a good thing to remember here. Our Christian life is not to be lived alone. And so one of the ways in which we are able to be encouraged to study God's word and receive his instruction, one of the ways in which we can be encouraged to avoid that which is evil is to make sure we're having fellowship with people who love the Lord, who are growing in the grace of Christ and who are exhibiting more and more a love for the things of God and a disdain for the things of this world. Now, let's look at verse 16. Talking about those who have rejected God's counsel, those who have made, them ba made themselves basically enemies of God, those who God doesn't really enter into their thoughts. Um, they're a lawless person. They're a person who lives as though God never, never gave us a law to obey or a wisdom to follow. Now, before you start thinking just about people in the streets who never go to church, do you realize how many people go to church on Sunday and maybe even Wednesday or Thursday? And yet, throughout the week, the way they live their lives, the things that they watch, the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they work, um, is really, it's as though none of it is uh, submitted to the law of God. And so when it talks about the sinner whom you should avoid, it's not just people who openly oppose God. There are many people who declare great faith in God. And yet when you look at their lives, there's no evidence at all that they're seeking to conform the various aspects of their life to the law of God. Now, regarding the wicked in verse 16, they cannot sleep unless they do evil and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Now, I want to look at a few things that I've written down here in my notes. <coughs> First of all, and this is so true, I have seen this so often. Men become addicted to evil. It's true. The more you give yourself to sin, the more you will need to sin. It's just like a person who just cannot 
at the beginning, it's difficult to control their appetite. But when they give in to their appetite, more and more as the days, months, and years pass, it becomes more and more difficult to control their appetite until finally their appetite controls them. It's never enough. What may have been enough a few years ago is no longer even the beginning. You see, sin is, like I've said here in my notes, it's a downward spiral so that after a while you will not recognize yourself. There is an epidemic in our country. Well, I don't think you can call it that, but communicates the idea of what's called um, meth labs, where people are making these these drugs in, in very, very dangerous kind of uh, homegrown laboratories. And where we live, it's particularly um, a problem. And so they have these billboards, and it's amazing. You see a, a handsome, strong young man with you know, his teeth, his hair, everything, or a, a beautiful young woman. Beautiful. And then it shows a picture of them just two years later after having given themselves to meth. You don't even recognize them. It has done so much damage, not only to their mind, but their body, their face, every aspect of their being. And that's the way sin is. I've written here. Um, well, let me put it this way. You'll see something that, well, you know it's wrong. And then you see something else that, boy, is really, really wrong to the point of it disgusting you. All right. But here's the problem. If you give in to this thing that really doesn't disgust you that much, I mean, you know it's wrong, but you kind of would enjoy doing it. Well, what happens is that opens up a door into a stairwell or even a slide so that pretty soon you become comfortable in that thing that you think is wrong. And then you get to the point where it's not really wrong. And then you look at another thing that's far worse and you that now attracts you where before it repulsed you. Now it attracts you and you do it. It's wrong, but you do it. And then you come to the point where it's not really wrong. And you justify it and you hang around with other people who justify it. And then pretty soon what happens is you can't even recognize yourself. The sin that once repulsed you is now a delight to you. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Um, I've written here each time your conscience becomes more and more carterized, cauterized until you are like the men in First Timothy 4 two, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. I have known a lot of people in my long life and I have seen people with blessed lives and people who have destroyed their lives. And I've seen people who, when you knew them many years ago, they seem to have a refined conscience. They recognized when something was evil and they it was they were repulsed by it. But then you don't see them for 20 or 30 years and you meet them again and you see this person. It's not even the same person that you knew before, before they had something of a sensitive conscience that recognized when they were wrong and it, it even conflicted them and, and hurt them 
and led them to repentance. And now they're totally and fully given over to sin. And not only do they, are they not ashamed, they boast in it. They're proud of it. And they defy anyone to say that they're wrong. So, so what you need to understand is, well, I, I've worked um, with a lot of drug addicts in my life, and a lot of them have told me this, that a drug addict is always chasing his first high. Now, what does that mean? Well, they tell me that the first time you get high, it's absolutely amazing. Take just a little bit of drugs and wow, what an experience. But then to get that experience again, you have to take more drugs or harder drugs. And you never seem to get that first experience back again. You just keep going further and further down the rabbit hole. Until again, you don't recognize yourself physically. You don't recognize yourself spiritually. You just don't recognize yourself. Sin never says enough. But it's always going to take you as my my old pastor, Jack Russell, used to say, it's going to take you where you don't want to go. And it's going to hold you there longer than you want to stay. And there's nothing you can do about it. So I've written here, not only when someone gives themselves to sin, not only must they sin, but they must also lead others into sin. Look, look what we have here in verse 16. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil. It gnaws at them all the time. They need it all the time. And then it says, and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone else stumble. Unless they can get someone else involved in the same evil. Now I've written here. Not only must they sin, but they must lead others into sin. It soothes the conscience to be surrounded by others who are involved in the same sin, affirming one another, validating one another, convincing each other that it is okay. Other affirming voices drowning out the voice of your conscience, because when you are alone, it is screaming at you, tormenting you. So many people who give themselves to sin today in our society, they need to actually join support groups. They need to have people around them constantly affirming them in their sin that it's not really bad. It's OK. You're just believing some archaic, old, false Christian idea. You need to set yourself free from that. But when they're alone, their conscience comes back, at least for a while, and says you're wrong. You're wrong. You know, it's a frightful thing that you can come to a point where your conscience no longer afflicts you to do evil. In one sense, you've lost your humanity. Now, let's go on. I want to look at a few warnings and admonitions from the scriptures. And these uh, young people, listen to me, these are so important. These are not optional. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33 and 34, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Now, there's an old saying, birds of a feather flock together. It's, it pretty much works out to be true. Let me ask you just a straightforward question, young person. Um, you may have friends who are pretty moral. Um, 
nice kids may be influenced by their family or the church. They have an idea of right from wrong. That, that's good. That's okay. But when you get with your friends, are you ever encouraged by them? And do you ever encourage them to talk about Christ? To talk about scripture? If, if you just have clean friends who do nice things and they may even be kind of religious, but they're never really interested in scripture. Oh, it's something they do. I mean, they do go to church and they do, do go to youth group and they do go to Sunday school. But once they're finished with all that, if you just listen to the way they talk, it's though God didn't even really exist because he doesn't enter into their conversation. That's kind of dangerous. Sure, it's going to look pretty clean. Looks like you're with a bunch of Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, but we're Christians. This is not just about kind of staying clean and being nicer than everybody else. This is about knowing God, loving God, walking in fellowship with God. And so do not be deceived. OK, don't don't kid yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals. The idea here is you're going to be influenced by the persons whom you spend the most time with. And again, they may be really good kids. But do they ever talk about Christ? They ever talk about the cross? They ever talk about their faith? They ever talk about scripture? So it's, it's good to be with good kids and I'm not saying pull away from them, but you need to get yourself also with people who genuinely demonstrate a love for Christ. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts, corrupts good morals. Become sober minded as you ought. What does it mean? Why should we be sober minded, serious? I'll tell you why. We live in a fallen world that is extremely dangerous. There's no replay button on our life. The day we live today will never be repeated. And this is a matter of not just life and death, but eternal life and eternal death. So yes, we can joke and have a lot of fun. <laughs> Everybody knows I do. But you better have some sober mindedness about you. Eternity. Eternity. And the fact that one day you too will stand before God. You will. Not with your parents, not with your grandparents, not with your uncle or your cousin or your friends. But all alone, you will stand before the great judgment throne of God. And in that day, the only thing that matters is did you truly trust Christ? Did you belong to him? And then from there, did you serve him? So be sober minded. Recognize these things are important and you need to get around some good company that promotes not just good morals, but the gospel. Now, become sober minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Now, there's a lot of things tied in here and we don't have time to go through all of them. But one thing I want you to see here, first of all, there's a need to be serious about some things. Secondly, the knowledge of God is extremely important. It is a shameful thing for a person to profess faith in Christ and yet be ignorant of who God is and ignorant of his will. Not only is it a shameful thing, it's a dangerous thing because the greatest deterrent to sin is knowing who God is. 
knowing that he's holy and righteous, that he's worthy of our devotion. Another deterrent to sin that's absolutely necessary is knowing the will of God. If you don't know the law, you don't know if you're breaking it. And don't think that it's just going to come out of your heart. It's not. We know God's will by studying his word. Now, I also want to look at Romans 16, 17 and 18, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspected. If your friends are not slaves to Christ, then they're slaves to their own appetites. And they're not going to talk about Christ and they're not going to encourage you to godliness, but they're going to flatter you. They're going to tell you enticing words to keep you in their group. The Bible says, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. The point I want to make here is just those who cause hindrances. Do your friends promote a godly life in you? Like I think I shared in the last session that uh, I'm surrounded by godly people who really have an influence on me and I don't know where I'd be without them. I need them so much. They don't put hindrances in front of me. They don't tempt me to sin. They don't tempt me to be slothful in the things of God, but just the opposite. Well, let's look at your friends and let's look at you as a friend. Do you hinder other people from growing in Christ? Do the people around you hinder you from growing in Christ? Or we could put it this way. Is it just that they do nothing? They, they do nothing for you and you do nothing for them with regard to growing in conformity to Christ. That's something you need to really think about. Are the friends around you influencing you not just to be a good boy or girl, but to love God in Christ? And are you influencing your friends? And again, don't go to extremes. I'm not saying you can't talk about other things or do all sorts of other activities and enjoy this life and this world that God's given you. You can and you should, especially as a young person. But if Christ just doesn't seem to enter into the conversation, something's wrong. Now, let's just quickly look at verse 17 for they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. I only want to say one thing here. Um, we're living in an age right now. I'm in 2021, the beginning of 2021, when everyone is saying big changes have happened and big changes are coming. Reset the world with kind of a new politic, a new ethic, a new way of thinking about things change everything, absolutely everything. And part of that change is reject the morality of Scripture. But I want you to know something. Whenever Scripture is rejected, violence increases among a people. Wherever what Scripture teaches on the 
sanctity of marriage is rejected, violence grows among a people. Never forget that. Where the Ten Commandments are treated as archaic rules that bring bondage, violence among a people always increases. You find an immoral man, and to some degree you will find a violent man, though he hid it well. So just know that. And I want to give you an argument from the greater to the lesser. If a person has no regard for God's law, they have no regard for God. And if they have no regard for God who made them, they will have no regard for those who were made by God. See, I, I love my wife for her. I mean, I do. There's many wonderful qualities. But that love is heightened and the way I treat her is even lifted to a higher standard because I believe in God. I believe in God's law. I believe she was made by God and I believe I'm accountable to God. And that brings in even more protection in our relationship. So I want to be loving to her, not just because she's my wife or just because she's beautiful or she may do what I want. But now it's a higher standard. I'm going to love my wife and not abuse our relationship because she was made by God, belongs to God. I'm responsible to God. God loves her and God gave her to me so that I would care for her. And that means on the day of judgment, I'm going to have to give an account. Do you see? You take God out of the equation, you're going to have an immoral and violent world. Now, if you say yes to that, realize there's more to that than just saying yes. You must know God. You must believe savingly in his son. You must know his will and you must give yourself to the doing of it. Well, I hope this study has been helpful. God bless you and, and keep you. And uh, and may you be an instrument of glory to God. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com 